Turn to read the Word of God now in the Old Testament in the prophecy of Isaiah and in chapter number 7. Prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 and at verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Zidia, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shiajashib your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint, because of these two smouldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Zeria, and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as a king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, that it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey, when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land is two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you, and upon your people, and upon your father's house, such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Amen. And so on, this is God's word, and we trust that he will bless to us, uh, reading from it. We return to praise God in the Scottish Psalter from Psalm number 113. It's on page 393. Psalm 113, on page 393, and at verse 5 to the end of the psalm. And to the Lord our God that dwells on high, who can compare himself that humbleth things to see in heaven and earth that are. From verse 5 to the end of the psalm, to God's praise. Unto the Lord, our God that dwells on high, I can compare himself that 
to the prophecy of Isaiah and to chapter number 7 and we can read verse number 14 Isaiah 7 and at verse 14 therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel thus we Continuing to this time of year when there is so much of a focus on uh, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and especially his birth into the world, we want to continue uh, to look at the unfolding of God's promises in the life of Jesus. And in order for us to do that, we need to look at the promise first of all and then to look at how it unfolds in the life of Jesus. And we saw last week the way in which the promises of God and the purposes of God, the way in which they create a unity in the Bible that is unique as a, a written book. And these promises help to steer the way in which God is speaking to us throughout the Bible. And it also gives energy to the people of God in every generation so that the promises, as they view them more and more, the more they they strive to experience what the promise contains. So the promise steers the, the course of the way in which God has spoken to us, but it also steers the course of the people of God in the world. And we saw the way in which God's purpose is especially set out for us in Genesis chapter 3 and in connection with Genesis chapter 1. And we saw the way in which there was a threat to the purposes of God and the promise of God in these developments in the Garden of Eden. And we then saw the way in which God promised the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, that he would establish the purposes of God. When we come into look at this 
passage here, it's, it finds uh, itself in, in a similar kind of situation. When we read the previous chapter, we see there that, that King Uzziah has died. He started off powerfully well. He was a really good king. But he died a leper because he overstepped the mark and did what God said he should not do. And the background to what we have here is that there is a real demise in the nation of Israel, the people of God, and a real demise in the house of David, the kings that have followed down in David's line. And so it's a time of darkness and a time of gloom, a time when there's a real threat. And right in the midst of that threat, we read at the end of chapter 6 that there is hope. And that hope is that the holy seed, the holy offspring, will be what will survive and will spring up. The context is similar. History in many ways repeats itself. And here we are going into this chapter to look at something about King Ahaz and the promise of God. And so today we want to think of this unfaithful king and God's intervention. Well, I notice first of all the development. And we need to begin at the beginning of the chapter in order to see the significance of what's happening in verses 13 and 14. And so at the the beginning of the chapter, what do we find? We find another situation of conflict. And we read that in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. It's a time of conflict It's a time of conflict with regard to Jerusalem. It's a time of conflict with regard to the house of David. It's a time of personal conflict. And when we look at this picture as it develops, we need to see these three layers. There is the the personal threat to Ahaz himself. There is the threat to the people of God in Jerusalem. But there is also the threat to the promise that God said he would have the seat of David, the offspring of David, forever on the throne of Jerusalem. And there are these three targets, as it were, three areas where we have to understand the conflict. And because of of the nature of the conflict, we see the natural response. What do we do when we're faced with danger, personal danger, community danger, political, national, religious, covenant danger, what do we do? The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They are trembling, they are fearful. It's what we would expect. Politically, there has been a lot of conflict around and the northern part of the kingdom of Israel has has suffered through that and now the the conflict is closing in on on the nerve centre of all that the people of God believe in and all that God has promised to do and because of that they are 
feeling the, the wind of the conflict and the wind of the power of their enemies closing in upon them. And as I said, that's natural. What do we do ourselves if, if we're faced with a conflict that threatens us? We're not going to ignore it. And nor should we ignore the kind of conflict that we find ourselves in when what is being threatened is not just our personal safety, but our personal salvation and the way in which God is, has promised to work in our own lives, in the lives of our people and in the lives of society in general. Today we should be fearful if there is a threat to the progress of the kingdom of God. And we would be blind if we are going to ignore the many different ways in which in our own world there is that kind of, of conflict that's such a threat, especially in our own nation with regard to the kingdom of God, to the progress of the church, and to the salvation of sinners, of people like you and like me. And into that fearfulness and into that trembling comes the word of God. And that's what God does habitually in every generation of, of his own world when people are fearing because of the danger the gospel speaks into their lives. And Isaiah is sent to, to Ahaz and to say to him in verse number four, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. At every level at which he is fearful, the word of God speaks into his heart and comes ultimately to, to address him as somebody who belongs to the people of God, to the community of faith. And it takes us back to the words that, that God spoke through Moses to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 20, where there he is saying to them, Let not your heart be faint, do not fear, for the Lord your God, he goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. How could they possibly stop fearing? How could they possibly be quiet? How could they possibly... Be careful and to stop trembling only because their God is the only true and living God. Only because he is the God of their providence. He is the God of everything that's happening in the world around them as well as the God of salvation. And when God wants them to be quiet and to stop fearing, he wants them to understand why they shouldn't be. And that's simply because he is in charge. And in verse number seven, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. What they are fearing most is not even going to happen. Because God is going to intervene and he is going to remove the danger. And so they are to understand that God will guard and protect his people. And along with that, there is not just the reassurance, but there is the demand 
for their faith. But verse number nine, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. To be firm in faith is to stand sure. The Hebrew word is amen. It's, it's the word that speaks of a firm foundation. And God himself is the amen. He is the firm foundation. You will be safe if you exercise faith. You will stand firm. And if you don't, you will not be firm at all. Their faith is going to be the means of them being secure. And the absence of faith is going to be the means of their destruction. And that's the development. That's what they are confronted with. And that's what you and I are confronted with today. There are personal dangers that that surround our personal salvation. There are personal dangers arising from the world in which we live that threaten our personal salvation. There are dangers arising from the way in which a society that is against God is not only in conflict with, with us, but tries to stifle and tries to quieten and remove every influence of the word of God. The danger is great. And for you and for me, from a personal point of view and from all of these bigger issues point of view, the demand is for your faith and for mine. And if we believe, we will be saved and we will be safe. If we don't believe, we won't be safe and we won't be saved and disaster will loom. And wherever we we find ourselves as we journey along through life, that's where it ultimately takes us. Time after time, as it was true for them, time after time, God brings us to the crossroads. And at the crossroads, we are asked to remember who he is, where we are, and our need of faith in his name. Do we have the faith that is necessary? It's a call for us to believe in God. It's a call for us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might be saved. So that Ahaz would be confirmed as king and so that you and I would be confirmed as the children of God. The development. And that kind of development secondly comes to call for a decision. When we're at the crossroads it's the moment when we make choices. And Ahaz is at that crossroads and he's given a marvellous invitation. For him the situation is impossible. All of the forces are against him. It takes someone who can do the impossible to rescue him from his danger. And he will know that God is the God of the impossible. There is nothing impossible with God. And for that reason... God gives Ahaz an invitation. Ask 
Ask a sign of the Lord your God that it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ask for a sign, a simple request. The sign that's going to carry with it a powerful message. The sign that's going to bring about confirmation that God can do the impossible. The sign that, that, that means that, that God will fulfill his promises. And the sign that means that God will fulfill his promises for him. And yes, the Bible does say, with regard to the children of Israel, that they should not tempt the Lord your God by asking for a sign. And Jesus uses these very words in the temptation in the wilderness. They were demanding signs because of their unbelief. But here is an opportunity for God to provide us with a sign that will help his faith, that will inform his faith, and that will bring him to, to embrace the salvation of God. Ask for yourself a sign. And such is the nature of the danger and the importance of the sign that God does not put any limits on the sign. Whatever it is, ask it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Whatever it is, ask a sign. There are no limits. There are no bounds. And everything is so powerfully set up that if Ahaz is going to accept the invitation and demand a request, everything is set up for the maximum psychological impact, for the maximum impact on his emotions, upon his affections, upon his understanding, and ultimately on his faith. The invitation is there. The scope is there. However great your fear is, then ask for the sign in accordance with the greatness of your fear. Don't stop at anything. Set up for maximum impact. And that's what God does when he comes to us with the gospel. He sets up the gospel for our faith to trust in him and to do so drawing our attention and pointing us in the direction of the promises that are exactly suited and particular to our needs and the promises that are so full of all that we have need of that we cannot for a minute understand the, the capacity of that promise to meet our need, but we do understand that it will maximum impact. And the gospel comes to you and to me today with the power of, of the Spirit of God, with the person of the Son of God, with the authority of the only true and living God, and it is delivered from God in order to create that maximum impact so that you, the whole of your being, your understanding and your will and your heart will be moved by what God is offering to you that, and in the embrace of it, it changes everything about you. And it takes away the fear and the fearfulness and it replaces that fearfulness with faith and with faithfulness. 
believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. It's a decision. Ahaz is called to make the decision here. And you and I are called to make the decision under the gospel repeatedly. And what is the response of Ahaz? What should he do? What else could he do with such a a magnificent invitation from God himself? To our surprise, he refuses. I will not ask a straight refusal, a clear expression of an unbelieving heart. God's invitation, God's command in the invitation, I will not ask. And as soon as we hear that, we, we have an insight into where Ahaz finds himself. And he is endangered because of his unbelief. And he is so rooted in, in his unbelief that he has no space in his heart or his mind for the word of God, for the promises of God. And recognizing that, Ahaz is pretty clever. He is trying to deceive Isaiah and he is trying to deceive God. I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Isn't he such a law keeper? Jesus said to to Satan in, in in the temptation of the wilderness, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. Quoting from the experience of the people of God in Deuteronomy in the wilderness. And Ahaz is using the word of God, taking it out of its context and in, in a pious way, trying to show Isaiah and God that he's unwilling to do this for good and godly reasons. Isn't that alarming? Isn't it alarming that you today can cloak your unbelief with such a level of piety that is based on on the word of God that that you think you can deceive those around you and you think that you can deceive God himself. And you you will carry on in, in your unbelief because you are persuaded that what you are doing is giving expression to God-fearing when in actual fact it is unbelief. And you can ask yourself today, why do I continue in, in my unbelief? And see where that takes you. Does it take you to where you will go to the Word of God and find your excuse from the Word of God? Or does it take you to the word of God and look for the promises of God and the invitation of God? Because that's where we see the difference. Unbelief and a desire for God. Unbelief couched in in piety and what looks so good, we think, uh, contrasted to a heart that truly 
desires and seek the Lord. The decision. What is your decision? Is it one of rejection? And if it is, what kind of rejection is it? And on what basis do you reject the Lord your God? The decision. And thirdly, that leads us to think of determination. If God were going to carry on his work, taking cognizance of, of our refusal to believe in him, and just going away because we don't believe, what a dark place the world will be, what a hopeless place the world will be. There would have been no promise. And there would have been no Bible, there would be no word of God. But God is determined that he's going to fulfill his purposes, that he's going to save his people. And God, through Isaiah, turns to Ahaz and says to him in verse 13, Hear then, O house of David, you who enjoy, who enjoy the the promises of God given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here in thy no house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? The picture of being tired of the same old thing, being tired of their rejection, the patience of God running out, that's what he read of in Psalm number 95 and sang of. And God's patience came to an end. And what did God do? He swore that they would not enter his rest. When God's patience ran out, then the consequences are dark and they are eternal. Will you weary God? Don't forget about God's impatience or at the time when God's patience runs out with resistance and unbelief, when you continue in unbelief. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, the Lord himself. Not the covenant God of Israel, not Yahweh, the covenant God, but Lord Idonai, the, the all-powerful, sovereign God who, who rules the, the whole of the universe. That God, the God that, that you refuse to ask a sign of, whatever the sign might be, that all-powerful God, he himself, will give you a sign. A sign that will show that all of the power that he has as that Adonai as that, that, that sovereign Lord, he will use and he will channel it into giving you a sign that comes in the face of your rebellion and that comes despite your rebellion and that comes with all the glory of the promise of the Messiah. The virgin shall conceive God is the God of the impossible. Who ever heard of a virgin conceiving? Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere anywhere else is that possible. 
a virgin conceiving and bearing a child. The sign, God is the God of the impossible, and here is the impossible. And when you read the, the promise, we notice that it is the virgin. It's not any virgin. And we, we can and we can think of, of God at least, and we can think of Isaiah himself as seeing Mary the betrothed to Joseph. It is the virgin, this virgin here. She will conceive and she will bear a child. Such is the focus of God's promise, such is his determination and his ability to deliver that he knows the identity of everyone involved and he knows that this will be Mary betrothed to Joseph. The virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. God said to the serpent in Genesis 3, verse 15, that he will place enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And he concluded by saying, he, the seed of the woman, will bruise the head of the serpent. And I see God in his own powerful and mighty way enabling me to trace all that he said in the first promise at the very beginning, tracing it all to the, the words here of, of God through Isaiah, drawing your attention to the way in which this virgin woman, the seat of the woman, not the seat of the man, the seat of the woman, that she bears a son. That's impossible. But the second impossible thing is what makes this so wonderful. It's wonderful to think of conception without a male person involved. But it's far more wonderful alongside of that that she will call his name Emmanuel. Which we read in Matthew chapter 1 means God with us. That here will be the virgin that I'm seeing in the distance. She is going to have a son and her son will be God. And in the light of what is Isaiah saying here, there is a way in which we can say that she will carry God in her womb because here is God with us as this child emerges from her womb. It's impossible. There is that, that, that seed of that promise in, in Genesis 3. What does it contain? And here we, we see it beginning to flower and, and, and blossom as it does. We, we see these miraculous, impossible things. And that's what makes the birth of Jesus so special. Special, as we'll see, because it does fulfill the promise of God 
special as we'll see because it secures a king on David's throne. The son is God with us and because of the fact that he is God he will be able to do the things that Ahaz couldn't do, that Uzziah couldn't do, that even Solomon couldn't do. The best of kings were, were, were men with failings and left a, a track record of the blessing of God in, at times in their lives and at other times reminders that they were nothing more than human beings. But this child, the son of David, he will be different because he is also the son of God. And when we go into our New Testament and, and John says in John chapter 1 in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word being the Son of God. Then the Word, in, in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God's determination. And we see it coming to light in the manger in Bethlehem. When this child is nothing less than the Son of God. And, and as we read down through the rest of, of, of this chapter and on to the following chapter, we will see that when this child is born, he will come into a situation of poverty. And he will come into a situation of, of, of curse in the sense and of exile because the people of God are still waiting for God to come to rescue them from their sin. And I see Jesus growing up in, in Nazareth in poverty. I see him in a world that is so marked by, by, by the marks of, of God's judgment upon sin. And in that environment, into that environment he comes. And in that, that environment he lives. And in that environment he serves God. And so today, we give thanks that God is so determined to save. And that today, despite you and me, he will continue his work. And today, if, even if your heart is the heart that is most resistant to the claims of God upon you, then God can overcome that. He's done the impossible thing in the first place by sending his son into the world from the womb of the Virgin Mary. And he can quite easily break down your resistance and bring you from the place of danger to the place of safety. And when he does so, it will be by his grace alone, but it won't be apart from you making a conscious decision in response to his claim to believe so that you might be saved. We pray that God will bless his word and help us all to reach that special place. Let us join together in prayer. Most gracious God, we do rejoice in you. Our Father who is in heaven, we rejoice in you. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we are thankful for the way in which you speak to us so marvellously from your word that different times in the experience of the people of God. Bless that too as we pray. Encourage our hearts. Bless us as we continue into this day. Guard us and keep us, we ask, and hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.
holy psalm is psalm number 89 at verse number 25 on page 346 psalm 89 in the scottish psalter on page 346 at verse 25 and this is david's son this is god's king the promised one his hand and power shall reach afar as set it in the sea and his right hand established shall in the rivers be. Down to the verse my 29 to God's praise. Stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.